Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to The Rev Up, where we talk all things revenue growth for business. Uh, if you are responsible for marketing, sales, account management, any of these things, uh, or you own or run your own business and want to learn what it is working and what isn't working out there in the big bad world of revenue growth, uh, and maybe you want to have a little fun along the way, you are in the right place. I'm Ben Shipley. Um, I've spent the last 19 years of my life building and leading revenue teams all over the world. Uh, and the Rev Up is brought to you by Trust the Process, where we help small to medium-sized businesses grow uh, by leveraging cost-effective, skilled staff offshore, particularly in the Philippines, uh, and technologies like CRMs, uh, things like uh, brands like HubSpot or ActiveCampaign. Uh, visit trusttheprocess.com.au if you would like to find out more. Uh, or how we might be able to help. Uh, and today on the Rev Up, uh, we have a special guest, Charmaine Keegan. I'm very excited for this one. Uh, Charmaine is a trainer, keynote speaker. Uh, she is also the director and founder of Smarter Selling. Uh, Smarter Selling actually provides like sales and leadership training, uh, really for anyone who wants to drive high-performing teams. Uh, Charmaine's sales career spans over 30 years. She's trained over 8,000 sales professionals, really empowering them with the confidence to embrace selling with uh, integrity and authority. This is something that Charmaine, are very, uh, Charmaine and I are very aligned on, um, really to help people deliver, you know, like immediate revenue growth. Uh, Charmaine's, you know, areas of interest and, and expertise um, as well as selling lie in human psychology. She's a certified trainer in NLP, uh, neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, hypnotherapy, uh, timeline therapy, Myers Briggs, situational leadership. She's done. She does, uh, teaches extended disc. Uh, she's also authored over twenty eBooks. You know, she's a speaker. She's a sought after panelist, contributor, etc. Uh, and actually, big congratulations. She's been chosen uh, essentially to be the sales um, the sales spokesperson for Salesforce for twenty twenty three in this region. Um, and so very excited to have Charmaine on the show today. Uh, tune in. It's a great conversation. I uh, hope you all enjoy. Welcome to The Rev Up, Charmaine Keegan. Thanks very much, Ben. Pleasure to be Whoa, here. Oh, crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome to have you here. We, um, we've been connected for quite a while, a very, uh, I suppose, digital relationship in that uh, connected through LinkedIn uh, we're both pretty convinced that we might have known each other outside of that, but um, definitely through LinkedIn. I've been following what you do uh, for for a long time. Um, we've obviously got quite a bit of alignment. Both, uh, I would describe myself as a massive sales nerd. I don't know if you if you'd describe yourself the same way, but uh, certainly a sales expert. Um, and so I've been super excited to have you on the uh, on the show and talk all things sales. So uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. I'm excited about talking all things sales. Where do you think the alignment is, Ben? What's one of the alignments that you saw on LinkedIn that you felt was an alignment? Uh, there's a there's a few things. I think probably the the main one for me is that um, you talk a bit about sales having changed and sales evolving. Um, like mm -hmm. I think it's changing and uh and evolving maybe even faster than it has in the past how people buy now is changing and uh so there's a lot of stuff that you talk about around the 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 change in what the way people need to approach selling uh, that's probably the main one 
Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm not used to being asked questions, to be yeah, honest. I thought I'd just take you off guard. <laughs> I just thought I'd just throw the ball see how you'd handle it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Love to be tested. That's good. Um, I think there are um, there are actually some some like common themes in our two stories. Uh, I know you know you were exposed to sales at a a pretty young age. So was I. Grew up in a household of uh, uh, essentially running a wholesaling business out of a house, traveling up and down the coast with uh, with my stepdad, going into surf shops and selling clothing and leg ropes and things like that. Um, I'd love for you to share with our audience. Um, what your story? What your story's been? What your path's been uh, into the world of sales and kind of um, how you kind of got to where you are now? Mm. Well, yeah, good question, Ben. That's an interesting story about your family, though. So a bit different. I grew up on a farm, a farm that didn't make any money, mind you, yeah. um, in England, in Essex. And my mother was a, you know, those days it was a housewife, and my father actually became quite ill. He died when I was quite young. He died when I was 16. He was um he was a builder, but he became quite ill. So he was at home. We didn't have any money, but when you're very young, you don't know you haven't got any money because the, the split mm. between people that got money, not money wasn't so obvious then. But as time went on, we were the people that were queuing up getting free dinner tickets. And it became quite obvious that we were, you know, didn't have much of the Miller, as my son mm-hmm. would say. Um, so I thought, well, I'll just make money. So we were quite driven to make money. My dad was very driven to make money. They couldn't wear very much because he had lots of heart attacks and he was a builder. But and so he said, those days, builders are not like they are in Sydney making money. They were mm. poor. You know, it was a poor thing. He left school about 13, I think he was when he left school. So I just did loads of jobs. I did about nine jobs when I was at school. And just because I didn't have any time to spend it, I banked it. So I became quite good at banking it. But those jobs were about, um, you know, they were all people contact jobs. Mm. So I learned really early on how how to read people and how to understand yeah. people. Really, actually, that's not how what I was thinking. I was just thinking, how can I serve them? Because yeah. I was in a show or I was wherever it was. And I just noticed that, oh, you know, when old Frank comes in, I'll change the music to classical because he likes that. And when his wife comes in, I clean a lot because she likes that. It was a little farm shop, you know, those places would thrive then. And um, it sort of started there. Then I, then I, mm. I'm laughing because I, yeah. Then I left school and I worked in a. I worked for a magazine. I left school at 15 actually, and I worked for a, a magazine. My boyfriend started. He was mm-hmm. from out of town. Ben, it's quite exciting. Boy from out of town, <laughs> but he was actually 36. And I said this out loud. He was actually 36, and I was 19. He had five children. A whole other story. Very good over gin and tonic. Wow. Um, and he actually even ended up in prison. Um, but that's another whole. Like I didn't know at the time. Yeah. He didn't, so that's where he went. But the side flip to that is um, he started this magazine and I realised I understood selling because of that magazine because he he was quite animated and he would go and he was saying all these things at the shops and it's like high street, like the high street, and he'd go, mm. I didn't know what he was saying. And, you know, we, we both know when you're stressed, you can't think straight. And I was trying to make notes and I was all very embarrassed because I'd worked in the shop before and I couldn't keep up with what he was saying. And then... He went to the office and it was down to me to walk down this street. And I, I went in the first place he said to go in. And the guy was, you know, with 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 a different lens now, the guy was quite rude to me. But because I didn't I didn't have anything to measure it against, I just sort of started talking about a, a gas cylinder that they had there and, and how they were going to sell that because I lived nearby and I had to drive eight miles to my gas cylinder. And before you knew it, there was a half page drawn out and I'd drawn it out as a free gas cylinder, as in free delivery. And they said, oh, it's £120. And 
oh, I guess I should um, give you a receipt or something like that and wrote it on a piece of paper. And I just walked out and thought, oh, okay, that's, you know, because what, what, what do reps do when that happens? You get confidence, right? Thought, oh, that's what yeah. you do. And then I went in the next one, next one, next one. And the reason that's pivotal in my career is because when I got to their office, the two older guys, they were old, they were 36, but they seemed <laughs> And they stood around yeah. me and said, don't worry, love, it's tough out there. Big thing about mindset for your listeners here, it's tough out there. No one's going to give us money. Like, no one knows us. I mean, no one's going to pass over money. And I sort of heard a bit of this, but I couldn't understand because I'd taken two and a half grand walking down the high street. And um, and there's different reasons I remember that. One, because there was a bit of light that came on the table, and it's because my boyfriend had left the table to laugh and the corner look had been plugged into to the socket because he was laughing so much. But he said to me afterwards, I told you specifically, don't go in those shops. They threw me out. And I remember at that moment, Ben, that was the moment I went to him, oh, God, I didn't know that. That was worth not knowing. And we talk about that lot in sales, like be careful what you write mm. on the story because your mindset's going to determine your outcome all the time. Mm. And so... I didn't hear him properly because I was so stressed. So I went in every shop that he said, don't go in. And I went in with an open mind and no baggage and no belief. They're not going to say yes, they won't want it. Who's going to give us money? No one passed that baggage over to me. No one said, here, the new girl, open your head up. Here's the baggage. We think we're helping, right? Don't ring on a Friday. Don't do this. Don't do that. And so I then went to work for a local newspaper and then I went to work on more media, 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 media. So it was all it was all media and in those companies. Mm. I was just used to working hard, you know. I was I was used to, to working hard and not necessarily smart at all then. Yeah. <laughs> Quite the opposite. But you know, that that was how my career got through. And then in those different jobs, I became like, you know, a sales manager, which I shouldn't have been because I was rubbish at being a sales manager when I was 22, like horrific. Who'd make me a sales oh, manager? Yeah. Yeah. But um, but my team, I'll train on selling. And so they'd always be, would always be the high-performing team. And I'll just come in to get my coffee out each morning and go, haven't got the money, haven't got the time. My partner says it's too expensive. And I see these little things every morning and I'd welcome them, all their things. Come on, got objections today. Great. Well, why would the client have an objection? No, let's, no, let's not think about overcoming the objection. The client's got a good reason. They've got the objection. What have we done before the meeting that lets them think that's an objection? What's the client? And sort of to welcome it and be kind about it and be partnering mm. about it, not trying to sell out and shove it down there when they old, you know, show up and throw up. This was the 80s, 90s, show up and throw up and spray and pray was in. And no one was thinking, let's partner and be a business partner. Let's understand. It was all like, oh, get to the gatekeeper, go around them. So that whole thinking mm. was very different, but luckily extremely successful. And so I ended up sort of getting a bit of a, you know, my 20s, 30s, a bit of known for that. Yeah. So I ended up training more and more people, but only on what I knew. So I wasn't a, a trainer and I, and I wasn't very good at it necessarily. Now with looking back, I'm like, I'm not very good at it at all. But I just, it's what people often do as managers. You teach your team what you know, because it's yeah. got so that sort of, yeah, that loops me back to yeah. where I am now. And then I started my thing. Basically, I'd a, I worked somewhere and I was, you know, doing extremely well. My budget when I come over from Australia was something like $4 million and I took over $10 million. So, you know, I sort of knew what I was doing. And mm. then uh, then I had a, a child 14 years ago and I thought, oh, i just do a little bit of this. But I had so many people say, come to me and help me with their sales and their systems and are, are the sales down because the salespeople? Are the sales down because there's not enough leads? Or is there more, you know, people just didn't understand what you do, which is analyzing 
what your situation is so you can make really fundamental good choices. You know, so mm. the more everything's knee-jerk reaction, and it can happen like that in small businesses because we're wearing so many hats. We don't seem to have a lot of decision-making time. And so yeah. I did a lot of sales training, a lot a lot yeah. of sales training that I knew and then just rolled onto it, but I didn't know that it became bigger than that, and, you know, programs, yeah. other trainers and, you know, really me getting into mindset and training properly and really giving value. Yeah. Did you... Do you think that that early exposure to training people, right? And I'll I'll frame this by saying like most people that get into sales management early in their careers, especially if they're really young when it happens, very rarely do they ever end up training anyone, right? Most of the time they end up with uh, reports and numbers and these sorts of things. They get taught to manage people by telling them what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong rather than teaching them how to do things better. Do you think that your early exposure to training and teaching and that sort of stuff had any impact on what you kind of ultimately ended up doing? Like, do you think, did you get a taste for it or, or was oh, it? Oh, yes. I remember writing down my three top jobs in the world, what they'd be when I was, I don't know, 15 or 16 or 20 or something. And they were um, to be a uh, a sports teacher this wasn't number one though that was number three number one was to be a highly paid actress that only worked outdoors I couldn't stand being theatre number <laughs> two was being a sales trainer and number three was being a sports uh, teacher right they were the three things because <laughs> you know I don't think sales is hard it's 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 there's a process there's a science but people act differently and people just do weird things and if sometimes they realize it's not about you as a salesperson it's not about you ever and just I just I recognize early on that you just got to observe people and then if you observe people you go you know what that person cares about what they don't care about and you all these things about reading bias signals it's so obvious if you can just be present and and truly care about the outcome not just go in and sell at them but really truly care then you naturally listen better and ask more inquisitive questions and then observe what they're saying how they're acting not don't jump in when they're pausing because you can see that they're pausing you can see they're processing what you've just said and they're they're thinking about it. then I got into NLP quite big in my 20s actually and that mm. became a game changer for me because that's now about all that yeah that's all about how you think behave and communicate what's being said what's not being said what's happening unconsciously you know yeah I followed this process I turned up I said these five things but you know there's millions of ways of saying those five things. Did you read the signals? Like, it's not it's not engineering, is it? It's not like this is e equals mc squared. It's 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 a science of having to observe constantly and pivot, 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 mm. according to what's happening. Just like you are now on the, on the podcast, you know, that's a science of human behavior. You having to pivot, pivot, pivot on the spot. And you know, I think once you realize that, and I realize not everyone not everyone got that. They had their same method. They got on the phone, their same method. And they, they sounded the same. They sounded every call sounded the same. And I never understood, well, surely, even if the client needs the same thing, and even if we're selling one thing, those calls should never sell the, sound the same. Mm. Because every client's got different needs, wants and beliefs and thinking and baggage they're bringing or questions, they, they should never sound the same. So that just means mm. you're not being present. You're just being reactive to a call and just, you know, throwing up your features and benefits. It's interesting that you say that because I I kind of agree and I kind of have a, a different perspective on it. And I, I'd love to know if like I'm just 
um, taking it the wrong way, or maybe there's an alternate way to look at it. Um, I, I'm a massive believer in sales process. And I think that there is a sequence, there is a, an order that is the right order to do things in, in order to maximize um, good communication. Good communication is just understanding people's um, basic human psychology, their needs, their drivers, their wants, their, et cetera. And so to me, like there's a, there's a, there's a sequence that you should do things in the questions that you ask, the types of questions you ask will should actually mostly be the same because you're taking them down a path, but how you interact and w- the specifics of the question should always be different. But where, where does that kind of cross over for you? Like how much of it should be the same because we're trying to achieve a certain result and there's a process and a sequence and how much of it should just be, well, what a good what a good thing. Have you had arguments yet on any previous podcasts? Have you? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, look, I, think I don't think so, but I'm looking forward to one. No, you're ready for <laughs> it. I think that's a really good question, and I think it depends. It depends on many mm. things. I totally believe there's a science, and I believe there's a there's a there's a journey, and we teach the journey. But what I'm trying to get to is some people, sometimes people are obsessed because I have more and more introverts coming to me now and more and more engineers and, more and, more, and they're obsessed with the journey and not the reading of what's happening mm, yeah. and not the pivot as it goes. So I've come in prepared. I'm ready. These eight questions, I'm getting there to get those eight questions because now they're talking about something else. And so I've still got my preparation, but the clients clearly had two people after me two weeks ago. They're interested in something else and I need to now steer where I'm going to understand and let them talk more and adapt what I need to ask because now the situation, the playing field has changed because with more knowledge that they've got, that they're further along that chain or they're going to a slightly different direction. Mm. So to me, people quite like having a science. It, it make, means you know where you are, but sometimes it can be, as long as we're training them in my mind to also just have full awareness. Are you what, you know, my questions are probably similar, but you know, if I listen to the last 15, probably the opening two or three might be, but then after that, they'd yeah. go, you know, there'd be whatever felt right at the time. But if you looked at me, you go, yeah, out of these 25 questions, you must always ask these 15, like you would as well. But I think for sales leaders and for sales people and just entrepreneurs in general, just because to me, people don't have a problem with asking the same questions, Ben. They have a problem with adapting to different questions. Mm. They, they have no yep. problem asking the same questions. They, they could do that, but they're not adapt. They're not reading the signals and adapting and going, you know what? That question I asked at 9 o'clock does not suit this person who looks at the same situation. This, this does not suit this person at 9.10 because they've clearly had something wrong this morning's happened to them. They've clearly not trusted something before. A lot of stuff has happened. And with that, I'm going to completely change my approach and get them talking more than I was going to before and do this and do this and do this. And just that pivoting, constantly observing and adapting um, I find is lacking. And so I do believe in a science. I do believe in a process. Believe That's what we train. But, but like another layer on that is, are you aware? Are you watching what's mm. going on? Because maybe, you know, what your plan needs to evolve or change or adapt or maybe yeah. not be right for today, that question. Yeah. I'm totally, I'm totally with you. I actually, um, after talking about it more, I actually totally agree with you. And so there's um, there's a, I, I apologize for being so agreeable. Uh, 
I've, I've been a big proponent of um, like call listening for for years and years. I think it's like the number one tool for a sales manager, if you, especially if you're like inside sales, you have to be, have the ability to listen to calls and people should listen to their own calls. And the most frequent thing that I've found impactful in call coaching is when somebody notices that the customer said something that was really an opportunity and they breezed past it because they weren't really listening. That to me is usually like one of the most important learnings for people in, in call coaching situations because so I, the reason why I agree with you is because um, you could have the perfect process, but if you're not listening to them, none of it will matter. If you're not true, exactly as you said, if you're not truly present, if you're not truly um, paying attention to why they're saying what they're saying or why they're asking what they're asking, uh, you can have the perfect process and you'll, you'll never get to where you need to get to. But at the same time, it is important to have a process uh, because, and I would adapt this on, on from a person to person perspective. And I'd love to know if it's the same for you. Like there's some people that when I onboard them as salespeople and I'm training them, I will not give them a script, right? There's some people I will fully give them a word for word script for them to learn because they need the process and they need the structure. And once they internalize it, they can stop thinking about it and they can be present. There's other people that if you give them a script, they'll get so obsessed with it that all they'll be trying to do is say the next thing in the script. And so like, it does depend on the person, um, but you kind of need those both, right? If this, if the process is going to get in the way of being present, you've got to figure out a way to get mm -hmm. around that. I mean, all this comes back to coaching, isn't it, and how they're on board mm. on your company and how they're coached at the very beginning and what's your ethos around selling. My, our big ethos is that observe and adapt. And the other one is reflection, which you've just said, you know, when somebody listens to their own calls, you're doing call coaching and they themselves say, oh, I missed an opportunity. Our big thing is after, it's our number two lesson, after observe and adapt, after every call you do, after every meeting you do, do you just think for a moment, if I was to do that again, what would I do differently? Mm. do you have the ability to reflect back and heighten your emotional intelligence and go, you know what? I just ran, I just talked over them and they said this thing and I didn't, and I didn't, um, it's oh, nice. I'm so sorry. And they've, they've said this thing, but I didn't really listen to what they were saying, or I just talked more than them, or I didn't listen fully, or I didn't, um, you know, I've missed all these signals. And if you would do that, observe and adapt after every call I do it after every call I do it during the whole training session every gap gap we have the first thing I write down is how I'd improve that section every single time mm. where my failures were where I fell from grace where I might be a bit embarrassed or my ego was a bit bruised or where I where I went too fast or anything with the group I'd got two people that really got it but two people didn't quite get it that I could have done a slightly different exercise with them and just constantly re-evaluating how could I how could I make this better next time? And every call, every call after this, I'd be thinking, how could mm. I, that was to happen again. And, and Ben called me, what could I, what could I have that, to make that, to improve that so that people listening in would have a better experience or clearer. So I think they're, to, to me, they're, I think it's clever that you get do a lot of call coaching and I believe, and I agree with you with scripts. So we're quite, um, look, 
I, I'm like you, I'm very careful with scripts and I only give them to people for them to understand the purpose of them. Yeah. And I say to them, this is infrastructure. So learn it inside out and then it becomes yours and you own it. And then you no longer have to think about it because if you're thinking about what you're saying, you're not present. And every mm-hmm. time you think what you're saying, you're not present with the client. The client, you're just missing opportunities, but also the client can feel that you're not present. They can feel that you're not there with them mm-hmm. because yep. you're not way you're answering doesn't make any sense because what you should be doing is asking questions investigating and if you're investigating they're answering you need to be listening to what they're saying so we do like what we call frameworks around that so i think it's clever that you do that i think it's very clever for salespeople, particularly if they're doing lots of calls a day to me they need they need something to keep them on guide but then hopefully they'll just learn it by road and they'll just own it and have what we call knowingness which is to the point that you just you can just walk down the street and say it out yeah. loud. So we've got a new person starting tomorrow, and he will yeah. have he will listen to two weeks of recordings before he's up, before yeah. he's even anywhere near the phone. And there'll be me um, going through different processes and basically starting with the client in mind and why they're calling and what's going up. And he will listen to about thirty of those. Me, some of them are recorded, and some of them be saying, "This is what happened. This is what the client had." This is what, and it's important, right, Ben, because you may have been in these companies and what happens on the first day is life is they drag them around finance and they lift their head open and go, this is finance, this is marketing. The poor person doesn't know what the toilet is and they have no idea what they sell. And that's why we've got this situation now. I don't know if you come across it. Well, I've been in places where a call comes in, they're like, oh, it's getting the way of their job. Yeah. Um, that's because for the first three weeks of onboarding, it was all the back end. It wasn't, this is the pain we're solving. This is a client we've had for 19 years. This is a client we've had for six months. This is what they went through. This is the pain it's caused them. These are the options they used before. This is why they reached out to us. This is the order and sequence that we took over the last five years to get into that client. We saw them at an event. We did this. We sent them a birthday card. We did this thing on LinkedIn. We sent them something of value. We did, 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 did. All those touch points, the result of that is the sale. People, don't, people often in these meetings, and you must have this, they're always about, you know, what the sale is. It's like the managers have an opportunity here to say, how did it happen? Yeah. Rep can go, well, actually, this started about two years ago. So every other rep goes, ah, the sale is the consequence of doing all the right behaviours. You know, oh, that happened because of all these right things that happened in this right order that then happened to be that because everything was laid out, the client said yes. It's not because you just had good luck. Sometimes it's good luck. But your luck improves and then calls the right people at the right time with the right message, right? And listen more. Yeah. But but you know, I think there's I'm looking around your your your, your cool thing here because I've got a lot of my mind about cool scripts, but I hear what you're saying and I agree. We're still not arguing, but I agree. <laughs> we'll find one yet. We'll find one yet. I never well, you know what? <laughs> um you said something before that um I gotta be honest with you, I'm immediately when we finish this going to steal it from you and include it in some of my training. You talked about uh, what I perceive as um, basically teaching someone how to learn sales, right? And I don't think I've heard anyone talk about that, to be honest. Um, right, they just push them in, get them a phone. Yeah. In, a, in, a, in a different context, there's um, an author I love, uh, Jim Quick, who's like a memory expert, uh, works with like, actors and things like that teaches them how to to unlock the power of their mind and he talks all the time about uh, the greatest superpower you can have is 
uh, the ability to learn at a faster rate and deeper, right? If you can learn how to learn, then you've actually increased your capacity to learn and the speed at which you learn. Um, And I think what you're talking about there is like how to arm people with the ability to learn how to do sales faster. Um, I've never never even thought about it that way before. Like how do we teach them how to learn how to do this first? I I can tell you right now how we can teach them. (laughs) Metacognition, get them to think what they're thinking about. Mm. What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about selling at a client or are you thinking about helping your client? Because Mm. every behaviour and action you have comes from how you think. So our big thing is what are you thinking about? When you wake up in the morning, what are you thinking about? When you when you, you go to the office, what are you thinking about? All your processes and all, are you going, oh, thank goodness, Ben's put this process in front of us. Brilliant. There's there's effective. Now I'm effective. Now I'm efficient. Or are you begrudgingly dragging yourself in because you're like, oh, are you seeing it as liberating because that gives you more time to make calls and have more client contact? Or are you just choosing to see it as restriction or something like that? What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Yeah. Thinking about Thinking about what you're thinking about. That's, um, I would very much love for us to delve into this mindset aspect. Um, something that, um, that I got taught really early on in my career and I've seen it work in a lot of places since is um, it's really important for marketing teams, sales teams, service delivery teams to actually have uh positively framed ways to talk about what they do and how they achieve, you know, the company. Lots of companies have vision, mission, and values, and it means absolutely nothing. Um, But positively framed ways to talk about how they're achieving the mission of the business. And so an an example of this is um, until seven or eight months ago, I worked for a company called The Entourage, right? And at The Entourage, there was no talk of we just did a deal or we made a sale, right? The purpose was to change the lives of entrepreneurs and help them build the business of their dreams, right? Empower them. And so when somebody joined the entourage, we called it changing a life, yeah, right? Just changed a life. And that's, um, some people might not find that uh, particularly uh, enjoyable. Some people would, would find that a little bit cringeworthy, uh, to me, it's um, it's a really positive way to think about what we're trying to do for people. We're not trying to sell them something. We're trying to figure out how we can help them. And is that kind of what you're talking about in terms of? 100%. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of things to mindset, and we could have a 20-hour podcast. I'm still willing to scratch the surface what I say. But my first thing is this. Um you know, the entourage had that, and I think that's very really clever. But what leaders can do, what salespeople can do, is stop thinking they're selling at people, just full mm. stop. So you had this change in life thing, and you may think someone might feel that cringy, but other people have got, like, I don't know, a widget that helps your pipes get cleaner. Whatever it is, it's, it's still back to I'm helping somebody. They happen to have mm. a pain point or an issue or not even know they've got it, not even know there's a simpler way. And my job as a consultant is to understand them better and then solve it. It's not complicated, is it, Ben? That's all my job is, is to have more conversations with the right people at the right time, the right message, and listen more than talk, but to part a business partner with them. So I have still got one client that rings a bell when they get a sale, and I literally, I, 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 there's a lot of lip biting 
that happens because to me that's all about I've sold out and even the word competition you know or the competition like I'm in the ditches I want to forget about you the client I just want to win even those words to mm, me are yeah. old school but the, you know you talk about the 80 I know you're big into how sales has changed to me one big thing is language that you've just mentioned on talk about language for a little bit if that's okay but the word competition we immediately take that out of clients and just go we speak to the client just go oh there's other alternatives and when they want to talk about them you're happy for them to talk about them because you're supposed to be above everybody you're supposed to be the authority in your field the subject matter mm. expert this trusted advisor if they have any inkling that you're a little bit that you're a little bit defensive it's over because mm-hmm. if you if you really rate yourself, you've got self-worth and you'll know the value of your solution, you won't be in the ditch against the other competitors. You'll go, oh, looks like you might have had Jeff in here. Fantastic. What do you have to say? How, what do you think of that? And you'll have better conversations and go, that's a good point. Because you're supposed to be partnering with the client, not trying to shove what you want down their throat. And that's the big turnaround in 30 years. There's some people out there still thinking, I'm out to sell out. And it's because the leaders often have come from that. And so we've evolved, but we're still doing the same thing as opposed to going, I'm sure there's a more sophisticated, intelligent approach now where I could be a business partner and all my team could feel good about themselves and self where they could feel good about themselves, look themselves in the mirror, it's not like clean their teeth and just think, I help more people today. And on our banner as we come in, it's got, who do we help today? Mm, I love help that. Today. Because managers, they could say came to you, I want my team to make more calls. And I say straight away, how would you talk about the, the, the problems you're solving? They go, we talk about the leaderboard. Go, no, no, not the leaderboard, not internal, not pipelines. No, no. How often do you, in your daily stand-ups or in your weekly meetings, talk about the problems that you're solving? So you, do, so do you want your team to be intrinsically motivated? Just talk about the problems you've solved. And when they go, oh, we've got another, and we do it here. Everyone we go, right, that, remember those two guys that came last week that said they got really nervous about that? They've made seven phone calls. They've made they've made 20 grand extra. That's what they've done. We're all like, oh, great. Everyone's on the phone like a mad person. Because they want to help more people. And like the entourage, just the same. It's like whatever it is, whatever your business is, you're helping somebody. And if we could just turn that whole thing around from being selling at and trying to get my figures and ring a bell or whatever, goodness, to I'm partnering with and I'm helping, that means old language add-ons upsell, cross-sell. I don't like to use it either. Like somebody comes to you, they want to have something from you, Ben. They're chatting to you. If you don't offer the other services, you know, offshore people like, you know, things like that, if you don't offer those, if you don't offer that and they need it, you're doing them a disservice, right? You have an obligation to do that. Mm. In my mind, it's not any upsell or cross-sell. When I'm Ben, it's like, oh, Ben, you've really helped them. Because if you didn't, they'll go somewhere else. They're going to spend a lot more time in pain. You've just helped them solve a problem. They might not know they've had that problem. And I think once all people realise that's all we're here to do and if they've come to you for almost go one pen, but you've asked the right questions and you've understood their situation way more than even you had scripted, then you go, you know what, actually, we do sell whiteboards now. No, those other pens work really well. And I think the formula's changed from six years ago and suddenly you got a 90 grand sale and they only, only come to you for a couple of pens. It's not because you were, oh, let's put the person on a leaderboard. I mean, I found the leaderboard stuff all embarrassing. I was thinking, we're just helping people. If the client walked in, what would you think? What would you think as a client? Mm. What yeah, all situation? Like that's two seventies. That's two nineteen eighties. Like you yeah. want a client to come in and see people really intelligent. Go, oh, hello, Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith, how are you? And have polite, sophisticated conversations about the situation they're currently in, how they find the marketplace, what's happened to their business, what's affected their business, what can you possibly do and adapt to help their business? 
You know, what products and services you're not yet selling, which you probably should be because they need it. Like we've got to get out of the trenches in the ah, 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 going to win this and be just rise up and be this, you know, be a consultant and just love being at a barbecue with you, Ben, and say to somebody, yeah, I'm a sales, I'm a salesperson and mm. own it and love it. So I've I've been wrestling with something around the like the the job titles in sales and even like calling it sales for a little while because um sometimes just in the the greater you know public mindset it's impossible for someone like me or you to ever overcome how people feel about a certain thing a certain word and so for years now, I've not called my salespeople salespeople. And I spent years before that always being the one who was like, stop being embarrassed of it being sales. I had a I had a team years ago that weren't called salespeople and I made them change their roles to be called salespeople. But I flipped that uh, maybe four or five years ago and stopped calling them salespeople because I wanted them to stop acting like salespeople, right? Um, and I wonder whether... I wonder whether what pe- what the greater public perceive salespeople to be plays a part in how people feel about sales and therefore how they act about it and therefore their mindset to doing sales and whether it would be better to just stop talking about sales uh, and call it something else, try and use different language for it and whether that would maybe yeah. solve some of the problems. So I think, well, it's on my mind. I think it's clever to change the word. So the rep feels there may be a business partner, for example, or a consultant. However, there's a large however. If that rep thinks you're changing the word to get the word to get away from the word sales, we're indicating that sales is a sticky band thing, mm. which is what they're doing is a sticky band thing. So I think I spent a lot of my time in programs going, all the bandness say sales is helping. You're helping people, right? If I don't, if I have this situation, you know, and I ring you up and you don't ask those questions, are you helping me or not helping me? And some some of it takes ages to go, I get it, I'm helping you. And so, yeah, I'm a one-woman mission for everyone like you were to, to change how they feel about sales. But in the absence of that, I don't mind reps going, I'm a business partner or I'm a consultant. I think that's great. As long as they didn't realize the top, see, the downside with that is they may not be commercially minded. And so what they do is have lots of lovely conversations. If you do the distal scale, they're high eyes, which means mm, they're people, yep. people, 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 but they've got no commercial smarts. And in fact, they end up pushing the sale away. away. We talk a lot about pushing the sale away. How reps actually, they'll be mortified. But if, if I give you a story, they'll go, oh, yeah, that's me. They push the sale away because they don't be too salesy. And high mm. eyes are also people that go, um, they overshare and they go, oh, actually, our product breaks here. And it does that, does that, because they think that's going to build trust. Oh, that will trust because then the, then the, then the client will, will trust me because if I can knock this thing of the of what I sell and I can knock that thing, then they'll know the other stuff. That I, so he will trust. So and this all comes down to psychology of how do people think about what they do? And if they see themselves as a consultant and they are happy being commercially minded, they are happy being in business. We do with a lot of for purpose organisations. A lot of it is psychology. Me actually saying to one not very long ago, if you didn't do that. Would does that help that child get what they need? And they went, no, because they probably didn't know it's available. Went, right. So you're you haven't got the mother up against a wall with a gun against their head to buy it. 
But the lack of you assuming they haven't got the money means you haven't even mentioned it, which means who are you doing a disservice to? And she was like, them. So why are you not mentioning it? Because it's too salesy. And this whole tagging has got to go. Has got to go. Because it's like saying, you've got to buy this. When you go, oh, Janice, you've mentioned that Jimmy does X, Y, and Z, just heads up, we have X, Y, and Z. I mean, there's nothing salesy about that. That is Janice going, thank goodness for that. You're amazing because you've just helped her. And you've mm. asked her questions about things she didn't even know was a thing. She didn't even know these things were available because four years ago, these things weren't available and now they are. And so as a consultant, you have an obligation to be engrossed in that client, so engrossed that you're you're just helping them, you're partnering with them, whether it's B2C or B2B, it doesn't really matter. But the idea is the moment we start changing um, job titles, I, we don't want the sales reps to think selling's bad. Mm. And sometimes I, that have, have you seen it go the other way too, though? I, I, I've seen this so many times where actually the person's not, they're not actual, this is not in all cases. There's certainly lots of people who are like, I don't want to be salesy. But I see it flip the other side too, where it's like, they'll say things like, I don't want to be salesy. But what they actually don't want is to have to say anything or ask anything that makes them personally feel uncomfortable. And so on the flip side of it, um, they don't want to tell them about the strength potentially of the terms that they're agreeing to. And it, so it hurts them on both sides. Mm. They haven't done the thing that helps the person make a decision to buy from you. Um, and my former boss, Jack Delosa, used to say, uh, if you don't sell to them, you can't help them. Um, and on the flip side of it, they also don't want to tell them about the potentially bad things, right? Like it's a minimum of this amount of time for commitment. They don't want to be really clear about those things because they're they're not afraid of being salesy. They're, they're afraid of saying things that the other person might not like and they might have to defend uh, and they're uncomfortable. They don't want to be uncomfortable. And I think that's a, uh, that's a problem for all businesses. You see that so often. But that's when like, you're, you're spot on and it's top down. It's always top down. So if you've got a leader that really feels that you're helping people and a great consultant and they've, they've got good processes and everything else, then the reps feel that they're helping. But if you've got a leader, I mean, I, I go to some meetings, the leader goes, look, I don't want them to be too salesy. I go, lacking in money, are we? They go, oh, a little bit. I go, maybe you should change that whole thinking about them being too salesy. Like, mm. let's just go back to core basics here. Um, that they're, they're making less calls because they feel they're too salesy. They're not having decent conversations. They're not asking decent questions. And they're not putting forward everything because they think it's too salesy. That doesn't help at the top that you think it's too salesy. So, I mean, saying that alone is not enough to help a leader. They need to go, and, you know, we go through a whole psychological questioning to help them go, oh, my goodness, I get it. I'm just helping people. It's, it's the leader that needs to be trained. It's the drive of the bus, you know. They're the ones that the, everyone's following from the top. The same thing with the language. You mentioned language earlier. Like, we have spent a lot of time on language. Um, we have people all the time go, oh, our, our, you know, what we are, Charmaine, we're a bit pricey, a bit expensive. And I always go, that should never come out of your mouth. They go, I tell our reps mm. not to say it. I go, no, 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 no. Not about saying it. You think it. You think mm. it. Because you, if you think it, you may not say it to a client, but everything about you is saying it to a client. Everything about you, how you act and behave, to the point I bet your reps go, I know it's a bit pricey, and if I listen to your calls, about eight of your reps just went, I know it's a bit expensive, but like no one should think it's expensive. 
You should think they should all be trying to know what the value is. So they go, God, is that all it is? $15. I get it. Wow, should be more. So once they say that, they don't think of the word expensive. They go, good value. It's really good value. And that's, they mean two totally different things, expensive and good value. So a lot of our training that we do, we train teams. We also train leaders on how to think differently about the team and about development, but also how to think differently about how they feel about just clients. I mean, none of this difficult client business. I go straight in. There's no such thing. They communicate differently to your team. How dare your team ever think there's a difficult client? They're a client. They're giving you money. Let's change that too. There's a client that we, we're not at the moment adapt enough to communicate effectively with. What can we learn from this? Rather than be all, you know, all sore by it, let's let's choose wisdom. Let's choose to learn from this situation. Clearly, it's touched a few. I've allowed it to touch a few pointers on me. I've allowed to be effective. I'm in choice. I decide of how I react. Something's happened there where I felt that whatever reason, I got a little bit defensive. Now I've called it a difficult, and start to label it like that. So people start to go, of course, there's interesting testimony. I mean, there's things but, that have to But isn't to there, <laughs> but isn't there, are you sure Everybody about that? It's going to go there. <laughs> no, no. They're just people that are in different states of mind and they've got frustrated Ben because the last two places they called up to sort them out, so they'd call them back and they didn't. And then did it, and then one of your people that you've trained has turned up and they've put them in the same box and they've had they're just tired and exhausted. And I'm not saying that's good, I'm not saying people should ever be rude, but what I mean is we've got to have more empathy that not everyone is in the same state to talk to us all day. And yep. to empathise with whatever's going on with them. And, you know, I mean, I'd say I'm quite a polite person, but the other day I ring up a place, I think I was on hold eight times in a day. I'm telling you now, Ben, by the time I spoke to that eighth person, I wasn't the calm person I was when I spoke to the first person. Mm, so yep. am I done as a difficult customer? I was just frustrated. I was intolerant. Yeah. I, was annoyed. I was polite, but it was through gritted teeth and they could hear it. But it's like, that's what people are hearing. Then they go, that's a difficult customer. I wouldn't say it's difficult at all. I say I'm quite an easy customer. But in fact, I was trying to give them my money, but I couldn't find the yeah. person. So let's just have some, let's just have some humanity and kindness about it. We just, what is I totally sales? agree with that. Yeah. Sales is just communicating. And we only call it sales because if sales is helping, we only call it sales because there's money. If there was no money. I, I agree know. with that point, right? I agree with the point that like, we need to be compassionate and have empathy uh, and all of those things. I've, I've personally experienced being very patient, really trying to work with a client and they're just a difficult client and they're taking up massive amounts of delivery time and service time and all of these things to a point that they're taking away from our ability to deliver to our other clients. Some of the best decisions I've ever made in my career were firing customers. Yeah, let them go. Yeah. Yeah, but, but so you but you be honest with it. You set your parameters. And if they yeah. can't agree to them and they can't follow through on them, uh, and they can't see that you're following through on your side and they're not hearing what you're saying and it's not aligned. Yeah. It's a mismatch. It's fine. But I, I think if it isn't a mismatch, then something's happened on that journey because at some point they were a client. So at some point things were aligned. And then something, and I was thinking as the mm, salesperson, yeah. we we we're in charge of both sides of communication. We can't say I told the client A, B, and C, like even if we put it in an email to them, or it's just like we what have if they to hear. 
both sides, yeah, we have to make sure they've heard it correctly. They won't just listen to the last thing that Ben said to them and actually process it up because it was a new bit of language they hadn't heard before. And they, and then you've said three other things since then, but, you know, you haven't recognised because you were looking at something or writing your notes that they didn't really pick it up. So they're nodding. You're thinking they've heard. They think they've heard. No one's heard. And then mm-hmm. what happens is, of course, people just read what they want to read from then on. They just hear what they want to hear from then on. And mm-hmm. then suddenly you've just got mismatches. But I, I'm still, I'm going to hold by my ground. There's no such thing as difficult customers. I'll okay. hold it. I might message you one day on LinkedIn if it happens. I've got customers <laughs> that, I, that we don't align with anymore, whatever reason. But it's, I don't, yeah. And when yeah. I hear calls, people say this is a difficult customer. I think the thing is, the thing is, Ben, if people put on the CRM, because people do, this person's difficult. It's yeah. to my old boyfriend, right? That people could go in with the wrong already with aggression to that call because they've got that note. And so I'm really big on having people take notes on the CRM. I'm really big with them thinking about it. And if things haven't gelled that day, you just put, oh, it didn't gel today for me. And you know, if I read other people's notes, I actually say out loud, that's what they thought of that client on that day that bears no resemblance to what actually happened. If the client said they don't want this and I don't want that, that 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 bears no resemblance to what the client said. That's that reps, what the rep took from that meeting. The rep may have completely misheard and misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, if they didn't mishear and understand, the next day the rep, the client might change their mind. More yep. education suddenly wants A and B. So these notes have to be very careful mm. to put the way they're written and the way they're interpreted. There's a great quote who I have no clue who said it uh so mate you might know uh which is uh there's always three versions of the truth there's my version your version and the truth <laughs> but even we're both probably is, wrong <laughs> yeah the truth even the truth is a you know subjective <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i'm completely all that stuff yeah yeah um i reckon one of the one of the uh books i read that changed my perspective on like truth and what I know. It's a really cool book called uh, Remember by an author named Lisa Genova. Um, She's written books about uh, Parkinson's disease and a bunch of other things. Um, I got, I got, actually got challenged a couple of years ago to read more uh, books by female authors. A friend of mine was like, what do you read recently? I told them all the things and they were like, how many of them have been written by female authors? I was like, zero. Uh, and so I just randomly went into a bookstore and bought this book uh, by Lisa Genova. But most of the book is about like how memory works. And I tell you what, you read that book, you'll get to the end of it and someone will argue something with you and you'll just sit there and go, we're both wrong. <laughs> yeah. We're, def- we're yeah. almost certainly both wrong. Uh, is it your favourite book? Is it my favourite book? No. What's your favourite book? Oh, that's, that is a very tough question. There's, there's a lot of different categories. Like the most impactful for me was the first ever like personal development book I read. My dad gave me a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, he gave it to me when I was 16. I don't think I read it until I was 19 or something like that. Um, I'd say my my favorite book because it encapsulates so many like fundamental beliefs in my life is actually the uh, the Count of Monte Cristo. Um, and actually not even the whole book, because the whole book ultimately is about like being patient to take really intense revenge, <laughs> right? Which is not what I believe. 
but there's this amazing section really early on where um, where the main character essentially finds his first and most important like mentor. They're both imprisoned, right? And it's um, uh, they're both imprisoned, and he just finds this guy who happens to just know all of this stuff. And so he just learns from him and it's just been a, a common theme in my life. I've been very lucky to be able to find these mentors as I've gone along just at this perfect moment in my life where they've taught me things that I really needed to know. So there's just a lot of parallels that really hit home for me. Uh, and I just, uh, I actually only recently read it. So it's wow. one of my favorite books. I only actually recently read it, an absolute classic. Yeah, what about you? Do you have a favourite book? I do. I do. I have. Um, I love How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I think although lots has changed in selling, some core fundamentals are the same. Yeah. Um, I am big on epigenetics, quantum mechanics, mm. metaphysics and neuroscience. So I follow a guy called Dr. Joe Dispenser. Right. I want to ask you about this just... One other thing uh, in relation to learning. Do you have a, an approach for your own learning? Like as somebody that teaches other people how to do stuff, do you have a way that that works best for you? Do I have a way that I learn? Mm. Oh, great question. I do. What's your way of learning? <laughs> My way of learning is... Um, I, well, sorry, I used to be intensely kinesthetic. Like I used to just have to try things and figure them out for myself. Um, and that has changed a lot over the years. Uh, I learn a lot through uh, reading and I earn a, learn a lot through listening now. Um, audiobooks and physical books are probably my primary source of information. Um, but then I still probably like everyone to a degree, I still have to go and do things. Mm -hmm. um, the real lesson behind the information doesn't usually land for me until I've had a couple of goes of doing it myself. So the the sort of kinesthetic base still exists within me where I don't truly understand it until I've tried to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's that's my style. So I... That's interesting. And I, um, it, it makes sense you try it a few times because it's not in context when you learn it. When you learn something, you have to mm -hmm. put it in context to learn it properly. So I'm big on having people learn. Like I spend a lot of time watching how other trainers train and how people do things. If I go to an event, um, I have three notepads. Like they're in my head because I can't, I don't always physically take three notepads. So my notepad's broken up into three. One is me learning as a student. And then one is um, me seeing how they're training mm -hmm. and how they're running the room. And then, and like just to do with music and lighting and, and breaks and how they delivered something and how they landed it and how they got you to lean in or think or intrigue or how they run it. And then the last one is the commercial side of what they've done. There's 20 people here. There's seven little squares. There's this. They chum you through. They pretend you're a VIP. There's 15% that are VIP. That's not too many. That's not too. So there's that sort of commercialization of it. So I, I turn up to those and, and do that. But I also, my way of learning is, um, well, I've learned a lot recently, actually, about learning, and it makes sense. So when you're learning, 
you know, if you ever get to, I mean, that's what I'm watching all the time is watching new thoughts happen and learning is thinking something different. You've, you're literally changing your mind. So when you see under a microscope, like the synaptic gaps, like your neurons here, they actually break if you change your mind. So you, you go to work the same way, way every day. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, why don't you take, why don't you go this way? And so that's quite thick, that because you've gone the same way most days, and now you've got to go, oh, and mm. that, that actually breaks. And it starts to be, you start to have confusion, and you sort of go, well, why would I do that? And then, oh, okay, I get that. I know why would I do that? And then the moment it gets to another one, you go, oh, I get it. And that's the light bulb moment because now it's sealed. And the thing is about learning, the more times you rerun that, the more times, you know, neurons mm. that fire together wire together the more times you do that's where that whole sentence came from by scientists by the way and that that, that gets thicker and thicker that becomes more of them that becomes synaptic gap and like neuro nets and on and on it goes right and they get connected but the reality is you need to keep repeating it and so the reason i've done an online program is because we have these amazing face-to-face things you know and i learn a lot from them and people come in and they they, they, they it's very practical they have to think a lot they have to they have to think a lot and do a lot, and they look different day two. They just act and behave different. They know the benchmark of a professional sales leader or a professional sales salesperson or whatever it might be, customer service person. Normally, it's sales and leaders. And then what happens is, what do you do then? Bye-bye. See ya. Ta-da. Out the door. What is the leader doing, you know, with that team? So we've created this academy. It's actually a director of another business online. So I've had all my learnings from that. So that people actually have something every week to go into as a group. And every group we've got on, they spend 20 minutes a week. Some groups spend a little bit less than that, actually, that's a smaller group. And then what they do is they all are on Zoom or in the office, just look us up on the academy. But frankly, it could be anywhere. It doesn't matter where it is. And it could be a podcast. It could be a video. It could be the whole course. It could be three three lots of two-minute videos. It could be an ebook or a guide or whatever. It, might. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. And it doesn't have to be my material. But the point is, it's a collective of realizing that learning is important, that it's it's an evolution of our skill set, that it's the culture and the fabric of that business. It's not just, oh, we've taken that box, we've gone off to a sales training company for, for two days, which breaks my heart, and you come back and there's your book debt. Like, not that that happens very much anymore. I'd say it happens very little, but what can you do to keep people sharp and polished and on the and on, on edge and reignite their love of learning. Like I've had groups seen where people go, you know what, I wasn't looking forward to today and I can't believe it's 5.30, where's the day gone to? And then the next day, there they are, Ben, over that product table, downloading QR codes and picking up little booklets. And I thought, well, <laughs> who would have thought 8 o'clock yesterday morning had their breakfast, that they'd even yeah. walk over to that. They were like, oh, not for me, I hated school or I didn't like that or da, da, da. There they are. God, that was all interesting. I learned how to understand my wife better. You say the marriages here, they're saying, because they can they've learned to communicate better. So suddenly mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is just communication skills. The light bulb's gone off. And I'm like, maybe I will grab that 10 best questions to ask, or that, you know, that little booklet on 40 best objections or six ways not to negotiate too much. Or I've got a whole load of them, like 18 of them there, and they're all free. And so suddenly they're all over there, you know, because and then they're on the academy afterwards. Because yep. it's it's learning. And, the, you know, we give the directors train, a lot of training on the academy. In other words, you're not saying to them, everyone go off this week and do the three three blogs and objections that's got. No, no. You get each individual to drive it. They pick what, what resonates with them. So, Ben, you find things on mindset or on, you know, scripting or whatever. You would go, I'm into that. And then you share, you know, you, you facilitate next week's lesson and we, all four of us listen to you. And 
And then we give our opinion because we've read the same thing. And then the following week, it's me. And I write an email out and we even do the template. Hey, next week, it's all about mindset and your thinking. And there's here a, yeah. here's a, here's a podcast that you can listen to. So everyone listens to it in the week. And then they come full of insights, facts and questions. And they just share it. No one's training each other. They just share it and they learn. They understand the, the concept of learning from each other and bouncing ideas around. Because you'll have seen this in your training. I see groups and someone will say over here, oh, I do this. And they learn of each other all the time. And you think, yeah. you know, some, of the, some of the best learning, even in the call coaching stuff, I, I, I actually like to do call coaching in groups quite regularly because someone will just learn from being the listener rather than the person who's presenting the call and the person who's doing the coaching, being a third party listener, quite often they take in the most. But there's there's so many of these things, right? We're all so different, but there's so many um, there's so many things you can add to the learning process, like what you were talking about there where somebody um, learns something and then they teach it to the group. Like a lot of people actually learn by teaching. Uh, that's yes. actually something, that that is something for me too. Uh, I've noticed that in my son, my son is uh, somebody who he'll learn something and then it lands for him when he then goes and tells someone else and teaches someone else about it. Um, but there's other parts to it as well. Like, um, there's a consistency aspect. There's a part where, uh, actually sleep helps you to learn and develop some of that muscle memory and, and, um, firing of the, uh, synapses in the brain and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you could say, uh, we're going to do two hours once a fortnight on training when actually for some things you're better to do 10 minutes a day. For a total mm. of 100 minutes, they'll actually learn much more, much faster with the consistency of daily yeah. when they sleep on it after than the the inconsistency of fortnightly. Yeah. I think it's such a it's such an interesting topic. And I think it's one that if you're a leader and you want to build teams and you want to create effective teams and you want to ultimately do really well and help a lot of customers from a sales and marketing perspective, you kind of have to understand how people learn. Otherwise, how are you going to onboard them? How are you going to train them? Yeah. I mean, we had that, that thing about 10 minutes a day. That's interesting because I think I'm going to throw something on the table here, Ben. Mm. We used to do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching years ago. It happened years, years ago. Then it got a bit longer. Then it got a bit longer. And then I had a group, the first time it actually happened, I had a group in Melbourne that were different. Um, we do private coaching, you know, for mainly for conferences, really. And then we do, people can come along to a course, there's a few other people there. And the benefits, they learn from other people. But that first time, I remember people, in my head, people had to have small bite-sized things. And I agree, <clears throat> as long as they have covered the foundation. So what mm. now happens is, I mean, I have this one-hour coaching every month, one hour of each rep of this company went on for two years. And then one day I said to him, Josh, just send them to a two-day course, will you? Just send the next one to a two-day course. And he went to a two-day course, this, this chap, and he came back. And Josh was like, what the hell have we been doing? I've got to wait till like November to teach them this because, because you know, we just do it an hour a month. We do so much backtracking on what we did before and so much. It's like, my God, so now we've, we've learned everything in two days, which means our, the trainer's got to be very clever and how they land that and embed that. There's a lot of yeah. thinking, action, forward planning in, in that. So you're embedding it and you're practicing with somebody else and you're repeating. And then once you've got the fundamentals, those sort of 10 minutes on an extra thing on the stretch, we call it on the stretch. 
because then you're refining and practicing and putting it into practice. But the beginning, I feel, I noticed that for them to learn listening, they've got to learn to be questioning. Before them to learn questioning, they've got to learn to be prepared beforehand. That they've got to learn, you know. So actually, once you've got this foundation done, now we can talk about your stretches, you know, yeah. and holding in on on certain things. And yeah, I think what you yeah. do, listen to calls and things like that's really clever. Actually, oh, I was listening to some calls. That, some calls I was listening to actually was in the HK Centre recently prompted me last week to do some videos. And one of them was about reps pushing the sale away. Um, and that's because we were listening to the coaching call. And they were to do with delaying a sale. Mm. What do you mean? That? Like so, so this was the scenario, right? Ben, so there's two people, and if you just listen to the beginning of the call, you'd think, I can't remember the names there, I think one was called Sue, who was, you know, inexperienced compared to Jean. So they were an aged care retirement sort of village place. And Jean, all the way through the call, if you measured it, if you had to measure it, not that you'd measure people against each other, because I don't know how you do it, you measure yourself against yourself, but she was more polished, more, she knew the features and benefits. You know that what that means? They could be present. They're not scrambling. They're not doing all the talking. Yep. Listening because she knew what she was. She knew the playing field. She knew the marketplace, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She was the trusted leader. So the whole way along, if you were to measure her, I would give her because I'm, I'm, you know, got a high bar. I'd give her a seven and a half out of ten. But probably someone would give her a nine and a half out of ten. Mm. And then the other person, Sue just hadn't been around as long. So she was very empathetic and very polite and listened, but because she didn't know what she was listening for, it wasn't so, the client wouldn't have known, but I'd probably say I'd give her a six, right? However, when you got to the end of the call, this is to do with NLP, it's to do with buying strategies, this is to do with, you know, your kinesthetic, for example, that, you know, this is to do with going to that level. At the end of the call, Sue said every time, fantastic, well, shall we get your mother in tomorrow then to look at that room? That's sort of basically how she she pulled the future forward, right? Didn't know she was mm. doing it. She just did it naturally because when she buys, that's what she does. Let's just get on with it, right? Where Jean, up until that point, if you actually clicked up and hung up, things doing a great job, you'd have realized why she wasn't converting as much at all, like 120th of, of um, Sue. And it's because at that point, she said, I, you'll have to go away and think about this. Talk to your brother in Perth. You know, it's a big decision for you. Um, so she was pushing the sale away. Mm. a lot of reps do that when they start to think about what they're thinking about at the end of what we call our funnel it's like what's your wrap-up with a client what's the okay i'll get on an email to you then okay are you happy with pauses maybe that goes back to asking more questions then it goes back to some clarity that's needed like how quick are you thinking i've got all these things to do i better get on or are you actually pulling that sale towards you and just being present or are you pushing the sale away Hmm. That's um I think that's that's such a great example. And I I'm actually just like wondering to myself now, I wonder how many times I've done similar things like that. Oh, I do um, all the time. <laughs> by, I'm, I'm by accident, you know, like yeah. Um I wonder how many parts of of various sales over the years I've been involved in where I've I've put a, a blocker in their own head and pushed it away. Yeah. Um, rather than allowing I think I think in some some of those cases you're like you're probably not even really giving them 
the respect that they deserve, that they can make their own decisions their own way. Um, there's a great book um, called Instant Influence, uh, which which I love. And one of the things he talks about in that book is like the last step of this cycle that he teaches is to give people decision autonomy. And so he talks about putting it back onto them and saying, um, what do you see as the next steps, if any? That's what we say. We have, we have little wrap-ups, three or four. One is what's the next step. What One is what's the next step at your end because that will go back to probably mm. three people I didn't mention before. And the other one, if I can throw it in. Yeah, please do. Is, oh, it's a cracking one, really. It's, okay, so typically what happens now is. Yep. Because that's telling the client you're in safe hands and doing, I do it every day. I do it all yep. the time. So we start off with, in fact, even on all our, our logos, it's next steps and then typically. So mm. next steps, what's the next steps for you? What happens at your end? And that, that could end up in another hour conversation or five minutes. Or it could be great. Well, typically what happens now is we will put together these ideas. Oh, I'll give you a call tomorrow, 15 minutes, check we're on the right track. I'll, you know, we'll jump on Zoom or something so I can show you something. Then we'll da-da-da-da. And if the word typically what happens now is. It's taking back that control that you mentioned at the very beginning about having a process and being in control of that process. And that typically is like it's just saying you know what you're doing and you're yep. doing it all the time. You know, it's that social evidence. You know, it's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Mm. Um, I'll throw an extra one in here too. Yeah, come on. I, I think that that works, um, that works really well and it works even better if you've also included those steps in an agenda at the beginning of the call, right? You've set the expectation of what's going to happen later earlier because of the um, the framing effect, right? People will make decisions on what they're going to do later based on information that received earlier. And they don't always remember where they got that information from, but so they get to the end of the call and their expectation is that things are going to go a certain way from here. And then when you tell them typically from here, what happens is this, they're like, oh, that makes sense because they heard it earlier. Yes. Um, yes. So fr framing the agenda yeah. of what you're going to do later and then uh, presenting it to them again, I think that gives it like a almost like a multiplying factor. It is. We call it forward pacing. If you're discussing things at any point, it's going to happen later. And in a trainer, you do this as well. So you, you, you introduce things that are going to happen later. You don't necessarily plan mm -hmm. to do that, but you slip it in. So when you get there... You know, you people that might think one thing like, oh, no, I always say no worries on the phone. If you already slip, you slip in early about language and then by the time we get to that section, they've already unraveled to the point of learning. They've already accepted and surrendered to that concept and let go. We call it letting go of their belief like, oh, no, oh yeah, that's a good point. So they've already let go of that belief. Mm. Forward pace with the client as well by when you've done your research beforehand and proper preparation, you can think, oh, they normally have these five or six objections, but they're still having a sense. So something's happened with a supplier or, you know, just pre preparing properly. So, you know, I'm not going to embarrass so-and-so because he bought the supplier last time, so something's clearly happened. And so-and-so is a high C on the discuss. So I'll, I'll email that person beforehand the questions. So they're not embarrassed in front of me to answer questions because it's be a high, that's something they get feared, being put on the spot. And then you sort of, you plan all that and then you're able to, overcome those objections early and unravel them in little bits in an email a couple of little things in signatures can I have your signature said oh hello Ben looking forward to see you two weeks time on Thursday your signature now is like bang completely aligned with them a little testimonial on top of that 
that's what that's mm. what we you know you it's real estate on an email yes you've got your calendar invite but there's your real estate I mean right now Talina I've got 25 signatures if the next call I get tomorrow is you know 90 men that sell I don't know um plumbing equipment that would be the image of men selling that are bloated blokes if it's mm. an aged care centre, the image is like a signature, man. It's all about saying I'm aligned, I'm aligned. I'm not making it up. I'm not just saying because that makes it up. It's just like I'm not mm. going to give a picture of an aged care centre. A lot of men that look like they sell pipes. So, you know, and then above that, a little testimonial, just a review that just clicked that's aligned, not a competitor of, of theirs, but something that, that wants the same outcome. So you can do all that preparation beforehand so that you're forward pacing what's going to happen, but also answering objections before they come up and unraveling that, oh, I don't think this company does this and going, oh, maybe they do. Yep. Yep. There's, there's one of the things I love about sales is ultimately it's just an understanding of what is good human communication. It is not trying to convince, and I've said this a bunch of times, it's not trying to convince someone to buy something that they don't necessarily need. Uh, it's just understanding what is good human communication. And I think the thing I love about it the most is that humans are very complicated. <laughs> humans are very complicated and there's a thousand things you can learn. Uh, and it's almost like the more you learn about this world, the more you understand that there you don't, there's so much to know and the more I feel like I know nothing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's oh, like, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to ask, I want to ask two um, in what I think are important questions here. Um, I know we're going to run out of time. We've, uh, we've already gone over, uh, but when you're having a good conversation, you just keep going. Um, so one of them is, um, I really do want to want to get a feel from you what your what your real core beliefs are. You know, like what's the two or three things that you you know, if you could only give two or three pieces of advice, um, that would be your go tos. Like, what really matters to you? Sales is mindset. It's ninety nine point nine percent mindset. You've got to be sold on what you're selling. You've got to you've got to know that whatever you're thinking is going to determine the end result of the sale. That's number yep. one. Um, and we're sort I'll, of ask you a I'll ask you a question about that if that's cool. Um, yeah. So we talked a little bit before about like leaders when it comes to mindset. You can use language, the way you talk about things, what you focus on, what you celebrate, that sort of stuff. What are the main ways that like if I'm, if I'm out there and I'm a sales leader, I'm a sales manager, whatever, um, how do I influence that in my team? Yeah. Right? Everyone's everyone's uh you know being negative and it's not going the right direction i'm really struggling with my team's mindset what's the what's the stuff i can do about it back to basics take them back to what it means to the client take them out to a client the other day i said to a, i said to somebody where's your who's the person who answers the call and they said oh they're based in queensland and i said fantastic how many how many clients go through that phone line before they get to you they said every client i said why are they not on the sales training course they're the director of first impressions up until now, it's been the website, and then they touch your business, and that person's going to sell them or not sell them based on how they answer the phone. So I said, right, let's get them on a Zoom, and straight away, you need to be coaching them. And what you need to do is get them out on site of what you do and take them to some places what you do. And if you can't take them, record it so they can see every single one before they start work. This client had, in this case, it was <clears throat> plumbing sort of things. 
They had this issue. We did this and now look at them. So it's not hard. You're on site anyway. And that's what they do. And you want people to take calls better and be more passionate about what they sell and care about the client and get really enthusiastic about the solution. Just be mind because most reps are just so bogged down with, with admin and they don't understand the importance of CRMs because they don't understand the importance of, you know, data outs only as good as data in, but they, they use it as an excuse. Oh, I've got to do admin. No, when you're on the phone to a client, you do it then. When you get the car, you do it then. You don't leave it till five o'clock at night. You just quickly wrap up then. Like, you know, you're mm. promoting it's better off not batching that particular task. I'm big into batching, but not calls because calls, unless you're really smart. I'm telling you now, if I make three calls in a row, I won't remember that first call. In fact, I'll be mm. lucky in call. So if I don't make the notes at the time and then hang up and then clean them up, clean them up, and I share my screen with people. I have notes I share. We're collaborating. This is not the 1980s selling apps, ringing the bell. I've sold a big sale. I'm collaborating. I'm understanding. Here's my notes. I have them up in a Word document. They don't care about spelling. They know, they know that I'm making notes on the fly at the same time. I'm going, okay, next steps we take together. We're collaborating. We're together looking at your issue. Think about, have I got a solution for your issue? So when your reps start to think of that and then go out and see more clients and understand more outcomes and you, their eyes are then on outcomes their clients eyes are then on outcomes and no one's looking at the bloody money i'm selling this thing to you that's garnsky but the trouble is most of these reps aren't motivated and they might have negative mindset because they feel they're selling at here rather than partnering and helping and mm, i think yep. once a leader has to has to also embrace that and own that themselves then really you're just helping more people. Like all this, leaders ever say to me, oh, I wish my team would get more motivated to get on the phone. I just go, we can sort that in. We can sort that in 20 minutes. You know, there's a whole way to motivate people to, to, to do things. But in terms of that, in my experience, number one thing is they're not sold on what they sell. They don't understand it well enough. They don't know the features, benefits, they don't know the alternative to, to what they have. They've got a negative word in their office about pricing or, you know, the infrastructure or our warranty show. They don't understand our business is different. Everybody thinks their business is different. The thing is our back end doesn't work. I go, do you honestly think that every business operates functions perfectly? Like you can't <laughs> go to the competitor and you will not have the problem that you've got. That problem will go, but you'll pick up yep. seven more problems when you get there. Are you aware? That? And sometimes these reps need reframing. I'm like, of course things don't turn up. Of course everyone's ducks over water. Things happen. Nothing's perfect. Yeah. It's perfectly bored and you would leave within about two weeks. So to, for the manager to stop embracing negativity themselves, but going, I'm sorry, but we've got to change. I, I get all leaders to stop the, stop the word change. Not that change is a bad word, but it will land badly with 50% of people. Instead of saying, great, we're going to evolve our systems. We're improving. Moving. we're getting more efficient so you can make more of those calls so then you're taking your team with you rather than oh, it's going to be changed i know it's another change to give you i was once at a training bin at the beginning i'd, I'd even set i'd even sent them a blurb of, to get themselves in the right mindset but it taught me after this i never never allowed this to happen again because i was called the director and have a good conversation beforehand if i hadn't spoken much at that point and he started up a day and a half conference like this so tough out there, flipping tough out there. Not much money around. Look, I've invested in sales training, so we've got to make it work. That was his opening spiel. <laughs> oh my lord! And he's, he's <laughs> talk about a frame up. <laughs> daughter was part of the business, and she just looked at me and went, "Oh my lord!" Conversation, and do you know what? 
the alarm bells were there. You know, the alarm bells were there. He wasn't listening to those conversations. It's really important that they feel invested in and they feel excited about evolution of their skills. And all you've got to say to them is, we're here to make your life easier. I've invested in Charmaine at Smarter Selling. We're going to make your life easier, be more efficient, and going to have more time to run the right clients, having the right conversation, be more empowered and more confident. These are the words you feed them. These are the words you feed them. These are the words you feed them. I mean, I, I had to change on the fly what I was doing. I, I turned it into this really funny exercise that I'd have to bring out the bag very often. And they were laughing because laughing is like music and, and sport a little bit. It's a, it's a leveler, right? Mm, and laughing yep. means your defense is down. So your amygdala is not fired up and you're back into your alpha, you know, your beta uh, brain waves, but you're at the lower end. So you're all calmer and you can take on lessons to get feedback and things like that. You're not in the sort of high stress state. But, um, you know, yes, I think. Yeah, we've got to. Yeah, there's lots of things leaders can do, and that's one of them. Just get your team to understand the outcome and to really understand what you're thinking about. Because if you think, yeah, we're expensive or they, whatever you're thinking, they they yeah. they're feeling it. There's two. There's two big takeaways from that for me. One is, um, you know, for for you talked about um, make life easier. Um, this is a thing I talk about with people all the time when we talk about CRM because we at um, Trust the Process, we help people implement HubSpot and Active Campaign. Um, the biggest problem in most businesses with implementing a CRM system is the sales team, almost always. <laughs> um, and now that I'm saying that, I'm obviously uh, negatively framing the people that might buy it. And don't just do that, guy. Unfortunately, you've got to do the paperwork. But I hear directors say that. Yeah, uh, you train them, Ben, on the directors to make sure when they when they pull the team on board. I'm sure you do this already for them to to talk about the outcome and how yeah. it's going to be efficient. Because I see directors in, implement things and then they go, "Oh, I know it's a pain to do." You think, what would you say that to somebody? Yeah, what would you say to them? The thing we've just invested this this big chunk of our resources into because it's going to make us more money which is what you do for people, makes them more money because it makes them more efficient and effective. And uh, and they just don't deliver it properly. They don't deliver the message yeah. to the team about how these things are going to help them and make their life easier. The messaging is, is super important. There is a flip side to it, which is that just don't make it more complicated for them. Don't Don't create a system where they have to sit there and do a whole bunch of inputs for reports that you're never going to use and no yes. one's ever going to read. Uh, just make it so it actually does help them to make their life easier. And then the communication around it becomes easier because it's the truth that it is making their life easier. And you um, get fired that up. All the time. That never happens to you, does it? You get really fired <laughs> up. You clearly see that all the time. Oh, so often it's like, uh, tell you what, I, I see it a lot, um, particularly with some of the more complex uh, CRMs. I've seen it in a lot of businesses, particularly with um, Salesforce. And I, I love Salesforce, by the way. Salesforce user for like six of the last 10 years. Um, but I've seen it a lot with Salesforce where it's like, what's all the things it could do, right? Let's design it to do all of the things that it possibly could do. Now, who needs to put the information in in order for it to do those things? And the answer is almost always the sales team fill this this bit 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 and they just end up being data admin 
Uh, and then you get six months down the track and you look at all of those reports last time opened three months ago. And you're like, what are we doing? It's because what do we actually need it to do? What are we actually going to use? And if we're actually going to use it, then do it. And if you're not using it, get rid of the fields, get rid of the reports, stop asking them to do it. Uh, and if it actually makes their life easier, then do it. If it makes their life harder, and especially if it makes their life much harder or they have to spend a lot more time doing data admin, well, yeah. you need to redesign the solution and automate more of that. Rather yeah. than trying to get direct data from a sales rep, can you pull in proxy data? Can you automate uh, that forms are filling the, the correct fields and all, like all of that stuff? Um, and you know what the great thing is? I've forgotten what the second thing was. So, <laughs> oh, I got so passionate. You got very fired up. You got very fired up. I thought you must come across the whole time. I, I understand. But we, we looping back, that mindset thing was my first thing. My second thing, looping back to the values, uh, mm. see sales as helping the client. Yep. Yeah. Stop trying to sell. Yep. At them. I don't mean selling's bad. Love the fact of selling, but stop trying to sell at them. Mm, yep. So, I, so as a leader, stop saying go and present at or go and talk to more people. That has to go. Go and listen to more people. Go and understand more situations. That language has to be replaced. This is 1980s language. This is 2023 language. Swap them over. Um, and also, sales is no longer always be closing. Oh, a line from uh, an all-time great sales movie that shows all the things you should never do ever again, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Alec, Alec Baldwin, A, A always, B, B, C, closing. Uh, great movie. <laughs> Love that movie. Do you know what? I'm not even sure I've even watched that movie. When I've, oh, I'm like, you no. have to. You have to because uh, you'll sit there now the I whole time and just cringe. Oh, Alec gosh, Baldwin that's is. Actually, Alec Baldwin and Kevin Spacey's characters are just the cringe-worthy sales leaders. Alec Baldwin is the very aggressive one. He literally pulls a pair of uh, of brass balls out of his out of his um, briefcase and he shows them to the team and he's like, "Cause I've got brass balls." Like he's that guy. And Kevin Spacey's the very one, like the um, just going along with whatever Alec Baldwin says, because Alec Baldwin is the the tough, confident one, and he's just like, "Oh, whatever he says, guys." <laughs> um, hilarious. Yeah. It's, ba it's bad, but it's so good because I've been there. Like, I've been in those teams before. Oh, yes. Yeah. I actually had a client last week that said, always be closing. They said, And the reason they said it is because sometimes as a trainer, you get this on the course. Some people want to train on the course. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so he, and the trouble is with this particular situation is I didn't agree with what he was saying. Yeah. Become a very interesting conversation because you're you're an hour in, and I've had no rapport with that person before because their directors got them on board, and they were answering everybody else's questions. And I thought this is really interesting. Well, one, I'm quite happy to hear other answers. Mm. I wish you that my 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 way is hopefully a plethora of different ways that might suit, not just one way, but this infrastructure. But you know, he said you could always be closing, so everything was like that. And I was thinking, oh, I'm gonna have to re re-steer this conversation and in a way I thought I'm going to pull out all my communication skills to re-steer it in a way that I don't offend that individual 
but nobody else in the room is picking up what they're saying. And I went, oh, well, let's just talk about that for a second. And I just had to keep batting them out, keep batting them out. Um, but I thought he might slow down and stop, but he didn't. He 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 did <laughs> quite a long time. Uh, the other one, I can't remember the other ones were now, but he said, Oh, I know. I can't if I repeat it, it'd be obvious if the person happens to listen in. But they were they were taking calls in a certain way. And he said, Oh, what you're gonna do is say this to the say this to the customer. And I went, don't say that, just do not say that, please. That might work with one out of 20, but the thing is it's a high-risk thing to say. And mm. high risk just means the other 19 will be turned off. And so yeah always so always be I don't know people say always be connecting or always whatever whatever but basically just as a leader again you mentioned leaders listen to this don't don't think about and salespeople and and consultants and entrepreneurs just just don't you know you could be commercially minded but you're not always close in a way you are because in a way everything you do act and behave is show that you're the expert not because you're trying to be the expert not because you're trying to be clever and better than anybody else but because you're so engrossed you naturally ask better questions mm. you know if you're really engrossed you naturally ask better questions you naturally go can i just sort of what why did that happen before and not this time or i'm a bit confused about that and the moment that happens they don't they no longer see you as an equal in the game they see you as that trusted advisor and now that's when you can handle objections and you can guide them and you can educate them because they don't see you as an equal or god forbid below them and a lot of reps and you'll have been there sometime maybe and so me like, thank you so much for the meeting thank you so much for your time they're all so subservient Basically, mm. I'm putting you out as a client up there, oh God Almighty, as opposed to going, well, you know what? Once I've done my work on myself, I've got my mindset straight and I, I know what I'm selling. I know my, I'm prepared. I'm going with certainty. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going with the Positioning is so, so critical. I'm so going to help critical. you. Yeah. 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 There's a great book about positioning. Uh, I think it was by Al Rees and Jack Trout called Positioning. Very, very, uh, very good book. She must just have a Sorry, whole positioning. Just whenever I get it, whenever I get into, <laughs> whenever I get into sales conversations, I just all the books that I've read over the years. I love just it. Back to me. <laughs> love it. Um, yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. Like, just the maybe this is one where what we were talking about earlier in terms of like, is the word sales potentially part of the problem now? No, but I think the idea, the concept of closing to me is kind of dead, right? Oh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to close, right? Because there is no close. We shouldn't There's no try close. To close. We're There's trying no to close. start a relationship. Hmm. We're not closing something. We're opening something. Oh, right? All we're so doing is trying to get them to the door to open the door. We're not trying to close That's anything. it. That's it. I did have a client come up the other day and they did say, my team need help closing. They're very experienced. They're very expensive. People always say this. They're very expensive. They don't even have the training. They don't have the training. They just need help closing. And, you know, and I actually was silent for a bit because I just thought, well, if they're really good at everything else, they'll be closing. So I was, he said, are you there? I said, yes. And he said, what is that? I said, well, closing is a consequence of doing all the first things right. Like your team aren't doing the first things right. If they're doing yeah. the first things right, the sale comes naturally. There's no separate thing. Now let's learn to close. You've got yeah. to get the first things right. You know, there's yeah. eight things at the beginning to get right. You get those things right, you've got a relationship, you've understood them and all the rest of it that comes naturally in the infrastructure mm. of both But, like, it's not a self-contained thing. It's a bit like negotiation. Unless you've done all the rest of it right, then the need to negotiate probably goes down or off the table. But people coming just to negotiate without doing that fundamentals first, just does just, just my brain sell them. 
Yeah. And all the time we run our senior groups, we've only ever had one one company, which was they sent two people, two individual people, only to advance negotiation. And at the end of day two, both of them said, oh, we need to come back and do the one before this. <laughs> because, yes. because you only negotiate because you haven't asked the right questions. You haven't listened properly. You haven't prepared properly. Yeah. You haven't overcome the objections. If you did all that, then that need to negotiate. Now we've got. Now we're giving you skills to hone in on. But you, you, you haven't got. It's like giving you how to ice a cake. But yes, you don't know how to cook a cake. So yeah. you know yeah. they're all the things you have to sort of deal with when you're trying to help people understand. It's not their fault. They, they, they just. I can understand it. They think oh, they just need help with this one thing. So it's a separate self-contained unit yeah and it's just it's just not it's not how you sell anymore that is that is closing is the epitome of the cheesy 80s sales um someone once said to me um the best way to think about like closing as a concept is you should get to the end of your sales process and if you had to stand up and leave the room and someone else walked in and said to your customer what should we do next they would tell you what to do next and what they want to have the outcome be. The customer should just then be able to say exactly what comes next. If if they couldn't do that, well, you're in a position where now you've got to try and close them, <laughs> right? So they should be able to do it on their own. You're saying that by the time you leave, the clients should have, you, you with the client have mapped out the next part of the journey together. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And that they should they should be able to express to a completely Nobody separate does. third party yeah. what should happen next, yeah. right? Because and what they want to do next. A lot of listen to this will have the situation as we both do and our clients do, where you're engaging with somebody and they have to sell on your concept and your solution to mm. somebody else. And you know that that's my big thing of the eighties as well as like get to the decision maker. I always go, do they call you up? They go, yeah, they're the decision maker. Do they call you up for the decision maker? They're not the, they're not the final decision maker, but they're deciding out the eight places they called who they're going to put forward to the final decision maker. They're gonna yeah. they're gonna work out if you're the right company that's the authority, and then they'll probably go at the end. Actually, Ben, I'm gonna introduce you to blah 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 blah, and they'll pull you through. But the old school thinking is get this, all those old school things are long gone. And in fact, they haven't been on my mind very much. Just that recently, I just saw some posts on them, which was why I actually got in contact with you. It's like people are still thinking. Old school, like nothing's evolved, you know. Like people, the, the reason it, it doesn't work now for multiple, multiple reasons. But when we both started out, I'm older than you, but I'll just throw that in, pretend I'm the same age. Is um, there was no website, right? There was no website. There was no LinkedIn. So that that salesperson had to be charismatic and the gift of the gab and the, and you know, mm. sense of attention and be able to explain a compelling story. They had to be. That's not now because the clients can find that online. So their touch point with us is way, way down the decision-making process for the majority of what we sell, not for everybody. But it means by the time they've touched a human being, they can look at your website, look at previous reviews, look at frequently asked questions, know they've got the pain point. Now, you might have teams that are BD, you know, business development people that are acquiring business. That's different. But for most of us, these people are frankly order takers unless they can hold compelling conversations and listen and ask better. They're just basically reacting to what's coming in mm. and so that need to evolve that type of conversation and you know not have to be so you know always be closing and all those old things of, yeah they, they're just gone because the client 
the clients are smarter mm. because that's the wrong word. The clients have got more information. They've got more education. They can get their fingers on more education so that so the conversation needs to be completely client-centric in my mind and yeah. no assumption from you. Yes, you've got to be a framework and everything else, but, you know, very different types of conversations. So we've got to let those old old things go. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Charmaine, we're going to have to wrap this up because I um, think you, you might have to come back because I think we could probably just actually keep going almost, uh, almost forever. Uh, but before you go, uh, let the listeners know, where can they find you? Uh, and what might they reach out about? Where they may find me is on smarterselling.com.au. That's been smart, uh, smarter selling. And what they may be experienced is either very experienced leaders and professional salespeople that want to evolve even further and maintain the edge right through to people that have just need more assistance. So we would usually do a whole company and very rarely do we do one or two salespeople in a team. Unless when we, unless the team is one or two salespeople. But if they're eight salespeople, it would be rare to send just two because that's not the right message that only two people would need training. Mm. So we could all evolve. So they would then have a conversation with me and all I care about is what's your business and what do you sell and who do you sell to and what's the problems? And then we'd work out what's the best suit for you. And it could be that they have their own completely tailored, customised one, or it could be, you know, what get your team amongst a few other people that might only be 18 or, the, you know, there's those sort of numbers. And then you're amongst other people. So they get the they get to hear about other people's opinion and take away the hierarchy in their company where John always gets the squeaky wheel, da 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 da, and they then, you know, when when they're amongst other people, they all up their game and act more professional. It's an event, you know. There's delicious organic food, and there's not PowerPoint inside. There's three breakout rooms. There's loads of daylight, and they wear a badge. They get to meet people. They have great breakfast. It's it's a huge product table with loads of free things on it. It's like it's it feels good. You feel invested in by your company. We talk about that, isn't it? Great, your company have sent you here. We have people that pay for themselves all the time. So we often got there'll be at least six that go, I pay for myself. And everybody's like, oh my God, my company believes in me. And they take it really seriously because we take it seriously. <clears throat> we take mm-hmm. work seriously. So that's who would come to us and what for. We also, you know, that's leaders and their teams. And um, that'll often include their customer service teams as well. So there's look, there's a whole range, suite of it's called a development pathway. People often start and they develop their way through. But there's some that you could just jump to, mentoring, you'd just jump to all different things. Um, and the leader ones the same, the leaders of their own lanes. So situational leadership extended this for leaders. Guy from TEDx Melbourne, John Yeo, does our high-level presenting for advanced communication. Or, or, and I do smarter leaders to get more business in. Um, so that's where you can find us. Fantastic. If if you are out there and you are a business owner, a sales leader, um, Anybody that uh, has revenue generating teams and you are not currently teaching and training and developing those people, uh, I suggest you reach out to Charmaine uh, ASAP. Um, and even if you are and you need somebody with a bit of a, um, you know, with with a lot more experience and capability and um, expertise in teaching those people, I suggest you reach out. But it has been an absolute pre- pleasure. Uh, I hope we get to have you back at some point. This has been a great conversation, lots of fun for me. Uh, so thanks for joining us. Well, I've learned loads, Ben. I've got that nine different books now I've got to read on my reading list. So I, I have a habit of doing that. that. 
Thanks for having me on board. Thanks for having me here. Anytime.